You are listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For more information, please visit our website at sungrove.org. We've talked so far, we've talked about the, that we're called to be loved, simply to let God love you. Your first calling in life of the five callings is that you're called to be loved. Secondly, you're called to belong. That you're called to belong to the family of God, to be his son or his daughter and a part of his church. Third, you're called to become That means we grow more and more in the image and likeness of Christ, that God loves you too much to leave you where you are right now. He wants you and I to keep growing, to continue growing, to move on. Then beyond that, we are called to be blessed, that we are blessed by God. We're called to be a blessing to others. And so we use our time, our treasure, our talents. We volunteer. We serve God's family. We serve the kingdom using our gifts to both reach out And to reach to the brothers and sisters of Christ by volunteering. And today we're going to say that you're called to be sent. You're called to be sent out. And that's the five callings that God has on your life. What does it mean to be sent? Well, you got to understand God's plan for history. What did he intend to do all along? Why did God create the world? Why did God create people? Why does God want relationship with people? If you don't understand God's big plan, then you don't know what your life is supposed to be about. You don't know why you exist on this planet. You don't know what you're supposed to do. And so what we need to understand is what God's big plan for history is. If you're taking notes today, his big plan for history is that he's gathering a family that will love and live with him forever. That's what God wants to do. God in and of itself, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is relational. God is, in essence, three in one. He is relational in his very being. But God, beyond that, wants you and I to live with him forever in heaven. He wants to gather you and have you come to the family of God. He wants to have relationship with you forever in heaven. That's his big plan. What is he about? What is he trying to accomplish? Why does he save people? Why does he want people in relationship with him? Because he's gathering a family who will love and live with him forever. That's what happens with you and I after we die. If you have faith and trust in Christ, if you have a relationship with him here on earth, you will walk with him forever as part of his forever family in heaven. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5, speaking of God, says he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. And again, that idea of sonship is not, is not just simply talking to guys. It's saying sonship or daughtership. In other words, you, when you come to Christ, are going to have full reign and authority. You're going to have all the rights that were given under adoption that people would understand in a Roman context, a Roman culture. That all that authority, all that relation, when you're adopted, you have full rights as if you were a blood relative. So again, he predestined us to adoption. What kind of authority in that? To sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and his will. And for this to happen, somebody's got to pass on the good news, right? If there's good news that Jesus wants this forever family, if there's good news that you can have your sins forgiven, if there's good news that you can have hope in a life that's often hopeless, well, it takes somebody to pass on that good news. Romans 10, verse 13, Paul writes, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how then can they call on the one they've not believed in? And how can they believe in one whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. 
It's so interesting, even when we go to these villages in India and we, we kind of look at these villages for the very first time and we'll go out and we'll just kind of inspect what's going on in that village. Is it a sex trafficking village? Is it just a, simply a village of the poorest of the poor, the mushar, the, the people who are you know, termed in, in that culture the rat eaters? Are, are these the people who just have no rights, who never get employed because they are the lowest caste system? They believe in reincarnation that if you try to help these people, you're undoing the punishment of reincarnation. You're like working against what reincarnation is trying to do. It's a religious abuse. It's a belief abuse. It is a prejudice abuse. They are oppressed. And as we walk into these villages to bring hope and the gospel for the first time in, you, these people, they just light up. They just get these huge smiles. And they're like, wow, that, that even just a foreigner would come to our village. Because people avoid our village. They don't even come here. And then they begin to listen with just rapt attention at the fact that there could be good news for them. And it's mind-blowing because they don't get choice. They don't get this understanding. And this verse comes alive for me when I'm in a place like that. Because all of a sudden I think, how beautiful are those, are the feet of those who bring good news. The people react to the reception of the good news in a powerful way. So we got to realize that we have to take a message of hope to people in this world. So please understand, your fifth calling in life, as we introduce, my fifth purpose and calling in life is that I'm sent to bring others into God's family. That's what I'm sent to do, right? I'm sent to bring others into God's family. That's my role. That's what I'm actually sent out to do. That's what you're sent out to do. And sometimes people feel a pressure about that. Oh, I don't know if I could do that or I could be the one. But I think maybe you misunderstand what it means to be sent. You misunderstand what it means to go. You misunderstand what God's heart is and how he empowers that process in your life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So again, remember... God is the one who reconciled you and me, us, to himself, through what? Through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. But he didn't just save us. He could have just ended the verse right there. So good job. You're part of God's forever family. Good job. You've come to salvation. Good job. Your sins have been washed away. You're white as snow. Paul could have ended the verse right there, but he understands something about God's big picture plan. That God saves us for a purpose. And that fifth purpose in our lives that we're sent, he gave us, the verse says, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You say, what is that? He gave you and I the opportunity to be the ambassadors to preach good news that you can be reconciled to God. There can be peace between you and God. There can be a reconciling. The relationship that was separated because of sin can now be reconciled. That you and I are now ministers. We're ones who serve people by bringing them this ministry, this word about being reconciled to God. Because we've been reconciled to God, we now become those who share hope with people who have yet to be reconciled to God. This equals God's eternal peace plan. The ministry of reconciliation. That's what he wants to do. It's his peace plan. It's what he wants you and I to be ambassadors of. But God's peace plan depends on you accepting your fifth calling. Because some people are like, I love it. I love to be loved. I, I love to belong. 
that almost can be very self-serving, right? I, I'm loved. I belong. I would like to improve. I'd like to become more like Christ. I'd love to use my gifts and bless. And then all of a sudden you go, but I want to be sent. And some people realize it's not all about me. These other things can become a lot about us or, or what we serve. But God says the whole purpose of my love is bookended by my desire that you be sent. That you love people into the family of God. John 20, 21, and again Jesus said, Peace be with you, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. See, at Sun Grove, we take this very seriously. Every year we send people on global missions. Even today, at, uh, after about 1 to 4 o'clock, the team that this year is going to go on our Mexico mission trip is meeting for the first time. That that's going to happen today. That they're getting prepared to be able to go on this mission trip uh, to Mexico and to love people and to love on kids and to preach the good news of Jesus and to do work with their hands to see that project through. That's one of the things that's going to happen today. We send people to India. We send people to Guatemala. We send people to El Salvador. We send people all over the world. We send people on global missions. And every Sunday, here's what happens. Every Sunday... We get sent. I get sent. You get sent. When you and I leave here, it's almost like we could have a sign on the back door that says, you are now entering your mission field. Why? Because what we do in here needs to have an impact out there. That being a Christian doesn't mean I come here and do stuff here and it praises God and that's great. And then I go back to being whatever. No, no. When we leave here, we've been empowered. We're leaving here to go into our mission field, which is out there. That you have a mission field, that I have a mission field, that we have a mission field, that we, God is calling us to together. He's intending us to bump into people and have relationships and longtime friendships and new experiences with people where he is opening the door for you and I to be a minister of reconciliation. It's a beautiful thing because we, the church, get to be those who share good news. It is good news. It's good to be able to say that and have a spiritual conversation with someone. So here's like the idea. Here's kind of a great idea. You say, well, I don't know. I'm not like you, Dave. I don't maybe know as much as you or I don't know as much as somebody else you think is, is very spiritual in church. And the point is God isn't sending just people who know it all. God isn't sending people who have it all together. In fact, the reality is I don't know it all. I don't have it all together. And neither do you. And so the point is this, that God is using ordinary people who are empowered by God, making a difference together wherever they are. God just wants to use ordinary people who don't always have it all together. They're empowered, though, by God. God empowers you wherever you are to make a difference, and we do that together. It's just regular people. It's people like you and me, that he has called us to be sent. He didn't call the elite to be sent. In fact, he chose, even among his disciples, those that were uneducated people. But those are the ones he chose and he sent to be his ministers of the good news of Jesus. John 15, verse 16 says this, you did not choose me, this is Jesus speaking, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit. You say, well, what kind of fruit? Jesus says, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. See, Jesus is saying, the results that I want through you are lasting results. I want through the life that I've reconciled in you for you to be able to share that good news because it results in lasting relationship with someone else, with God the Father. It's fruit that will last. 
I used to speak at a lot of youth camps. And uh, all the time I would see it, I used to, you know, go with my youth group to youth camps, and sometimes somebody else would speak, and then I would go to camps and I would speak. So I'd be the camp speaker for the week. And the camp speaker for the week is kind of an interesting job because you're like a celebrity for a week, and you don't have any long-term relationship with anybody. So it's, it's really kind of easy, if you will, right? But here's what I watched time and again as I would sit there and hear other camp speakers, or as I began to speak, I realized that there's a very fine line. There's a very fine line between going to be a camp speaker and you learn. If you're a communicator, you learn. You can use emotion and you can manipulate and you can have this huge response to kids because they make simply just an emotional decision. But guess what happens if you do that? The decision lasts a weekend. And years later, they'll remember you, but they don't remember Jesus. And so my prayer began. God, please, I just want to bear lasting fruit. I don't need big numbers of decisions. I just need decisions that 20 years from now are going to forget me, but remember Jesus. We want to bear lasting fruit because, honestly, think about it. Most of what we do in life gets undone. Most of what we do in life will be forgotten. Most of what we do in life won't be remembered, right? I mean, think how many authors there have been. You think, oh, if I could just write a book or if I could just do something big. You know how many... That's why there's used bookstores. That's why, that's why you're trying to still get rid of books off your shelves, right? It, it, so much of what we've done will get undone. So much of what we've done won't be remembered. So much of what we've done is do isn't lasting fruit. That's the reality. It's quickly forgotten. It won't last. So there's three, dimensional, uh, three dimensions that are on your outline. The first one is personal. There's a personal dimension to sharing with good news with people, my personal mission to the people in my life. You have a personal mission to your friends, to your family, to the people who are right there in your life, and that's you personally. But I don't want you to get stuck simply on what you need to do personally. There is that component. But God has another dimension. The second dimension is your circle, your group, your small group of people that corporately together you're reaching out to people. Some of our circles here operate like a ministry. And that ministry as you serve together, you're reaching out to people. There's a gospel preaching component to the love and the care that you're bringing. And your circle may come together and say, what can we do? Who could we invite to this circle where people could hear the good news of Jesus? By inviting them to our circle. In fact, I believe oftentimes that natural evangelism happens when people just invite people to a small group. That people invite people to a home. Sometimes even before they invite them to a church. That's just naturally the way it works because it works in relationship. So you want to think of personally, what is my mission? God, who are the people you're putting in my life? And could I then invite them to a circle? Or what is the mission of our circle, our small group? And then you have a global mission. And that's our church's mission to the entire world. That we come together and can do more together than you could do separate or I could do separately, right? There's so much. When we come together, we can reach to the furthest parts in the world. But on our own, we may or may not be able to. So we practice personal, local, and global outreach. That's what God's calling us to do. When he's sending us, he's saying, I'm sending you to personal outreach, to local outreach, to global outreach. 
In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is telling the disciples before the church has been launched, he says this, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus gives them this picture. What I've reconciled is not just for Jewish people. He's saying, listen, it's for people in Jerusalem. It's for people in Judea and Samaria. Samaria, whoa, those are like half Jewish people. Are you serious? Yes, in Samaria. And guess what Jesus says? And to the ends of the earth. That his message of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation is worldwide. And here's what I want you to understand. The order is simultaneous. It's not sequential. People think, oh, well, Jesus just meant it's going to grow. So we're going to start like local. Then we're going to franchise. Then we're going worldwide. No, no, he's, Jesus is saying, listen, at the same time, my message is going to happen in Jerusalem, and it's going to happen out. In fact, it's already started to happen. I mean, basically, Jesus is already, and in a very short amount of time, will use persecution to disperse the church worldwide and the message of the gospel out worldwide. This is not sequential, it's simultaneous. In other words, all over, at the same time, and that's what we're to do. We're not just simply say, hey, why can't we just care for Elk Grove? Can we just care for Elk Grove? Can we just care for the people in my neighborhood or your neighborhood? Can we just care about our church? No. God said the message through Sun Grove Church, the message is going to go right here in Elk Grove. And it's going to go here in our Sacramento region. And it's going to go in our state. And it's going to go worldwide. And that's simultaneous. And so I want you to know right now, we're sending people to foreign places around the world. We're reaching people right here in Elk Grove and in the Sacramento region right now. And in your circle, it's happening. And through the internet, it's happening all over the place. It's simultaneous that you're having a spiritual conversation with somebody at work or somebody in your home at the same time that the gospel is being preached here, at the same time that circles are meeting and inviting people there, at the same time that mission trips are happening worldwide. We're sent. In Matthew 28, 19 through 20, Jesus gives us the great commandment, the great commission. He's saying, I'm commissioning you to be sent. Before you're sent, I'm commissioning you to be launched. And as Rick Warren says, he said, this is the great commission, not the great suggestion. It's a commandment. Jesus said, therefore, go. That's an imperative word. Go and make disciples. Those are two imperatives. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus is saying, I'm sending you. You're sent. I'm calling you to go in a personal way, in a corporate way, in a global way. I'm calling you to go and to be my ambassadors around the world. We have an advantage, though. You might not think that we have an advantage, but i got to be honest with you. I've been around some places, and we in Elk Grove have a huge advantage. Want to know what that is? The entire world comes to Elk Grove. There are places around the country where there's no diversity. There are places around the country where there's no internationals. They don't go. Internationals don't go there. They don't reside there. They don't hang out there. But in Elk Grove, everybody comes to Elk Grove. Everybody comes to the Sacramento region. There is an amazing amount of beautiful diversity right where we live. We have an advantage. It's a beautiful thing. When you and I reach out to our neighbors, guess what happens? You reach out to the people who are here in Elk Grove, and they come to Christ. They end up reaching to the ends of the earth. Because they've got friends and relatives and people all over the world, literally. 
God may send somebody here to Elk Grove because he wants to reach people back where they came from. It's diverse. I love it. I love the diversity in our church. I love that there is this common denominator under Jesus Christ that all people can come together based not on their economic status, not based on their racial heritage, not based on their background, but that we come together under the umbrella of Christ and we are the church. I love it. It's a beautiful thing. But one of the beautiful things about Elk Grove, even as I look at my neighborhood, I'm going, the amount of people who look like me is a minority. And that means there's opportunity. There's opportunity to reach the world right here. Right here in our backyard. What does God want me to do? In Acts chapter 20 verse 24 it says this. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race. To complete the task the Lord has given me. What task is that? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Paul again, he's saying, my only aim... My only aim is not my own ambitions, my own life, my own wealth, my own retirement. It's not what Paul's saying. Paul is saying, listen, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task. What task is that? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. God wants you and I to be his ambassadors. We're sent to testify to the good news that comes through his son, Jesus Christ. Why do you think you're hearing this? Why do you think you're listening to this right now? It's because God is calling you. He's calling you out of your comfort zone. God is calling you to be sent. God is calling you to open your mind and go, how did I just get my whole life just kind of all about me? And maybe I'm all about me and I need to get on mission because I've kind of gotten off mission. Maybe God is helping you this morning understand God's calling you. He's calling me. He's calling us together. So the first thing we can do, number one, is pray that people will say yes to God. Jesus prayed before he sent. Even with his disciples, before he sent them out, he prayed before he sent. Jesus, before he launched the disciples after his death, his resurrection to life, he had 40 days on earth before he ascended to heaven. And even there, Jesus prayed before he sent them out. So you and I should pray before we go. You and I should pray that people will say yes to God. I believe one of the reasons that God brings people to Sun Grove Church who hear the gospel and respond to him and are reconciled to God is because we're asking God, God, we want to be a part of what you're already doing. We want to come alongside, God, what you're already doing, and we believe that you are drawing people, men and women, to yourself to be reconciled to you. You and I should pray that people come to Christ in Matthew chapter 9, verse 37, then Jesus said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. He's saying what? Pray. Ask. Ask the Lord to send out workers. Who are the workers? It's you and I. It's other people. It's what we can do corporately. He's saying the harvest is there. The harvest is available. The harvest is ready. But we need workers who will be sent. So pray that people will say yes to going. Pray that people will say yes to receiving the good news of Jesus. So part of your calling is to pray for more and more people to be sent. Secondly, though, you need to give to help others go. So what can I do right now? Well, I can give to help other people go. 
So you might know someone who's going to Mexico. You might know someone who's going off to India. You say, I can't do that right now, but I will give generously. I will love on them in a financial way to enable them to go as part of what we can do corporately. And here's one of the interesting things. God uses financial giving to test our faith. God will do that. He'll use financial giving to test. Do you believe? Are you lip service? Or do you actually believe what you're saying? Is there action behind it? So be generous, right? That you learn that you can't outgive God. In 3 John chapter 1, verse 8, it says, We ought therefore to show hospitality to such people so that we may work together for the truth. There's a sense that together we can work. When a person goes on a mission trip, it's hard for that person at time to send out letters, to ask other people to sponsor them. Sometimes they feel like, I don't know, does it sound like I'm just going on a trip? Do they realize what I'm doing? But there's an amazing thing that happens. God grows your faith. That you put yourself in a position. You might have the money to just pay for yourself. But God goes, you just skipped a growth step. You skipped a faith step. And the faith step is that you ask other people to sponsor, and you see God funding what he's going to do through your life. I can't tell you the number of times I've seen non-Christian people give toward a Christian mission trip, and it builds the faith of the person going because they think, I never thought my unsaved grandparent, or I never thought my unsaved neighbor or someone else would actually give in a way. God, God's hands aren't tied just by Christian people, Right? He can use whoever he wants. He can bring resources from wherever he wants. And your faith increases because you see that happen. But for you and I, we can give to help others go. Matthew chapter 10 verse 8 says, Freely you have received, freely give. Did you buy your salvation? No. You received it in free. But in the same way we should freely give. When you trust God as being your source, then you realize he enables you to ask other people when you're going to go, or to financially help other people when they go because you can't outgive God. God's gonna say, Do you trust me that if you were to give to help somebody else to go, that I'll take care of your needs? Are you gonna trust me or are you gonna trust money? God uses financial giving as a test of our faith. Who are we going to trust? You uh, in this room have probably been a part of like building campaigns at different churches or you've given toward causes or you've done some things over the years that you look at. And, and a number of years ago, Heather and I were at our previous church and uh, we were giving as part of a capital campaign. And this capital campaign, listen, was a $17 million capital campaign. You say, that's huge. What are you going to build with $17 million at this church? What are they going to do with $17 million? You know what they're going to build? They're going to build a parking garage. Everybody groans a little bit, right? Seriously? Like a parking garage? That's what your capital campaign was for? That's what you were giving toward? That's what you, Dave, and Heather sacrificed in your family? You made sacrifices to give toward that building campaign? Yes. You want to know why? Because that parking garage was necessary for that particular church to build a 3,500-seat auditorium eight years later that just opened up a month ago, and there's a picture of it up on the screen behind me. Why don't you look at that? That picture right there, 3,500 seats just opened up at our former church. And we gave. Do you think that we resented giving that? No. Because it just opened up. It's still reaching people. The parking was needed to accommodate the people who would come. The seats in that auditorium were needed for those who would sit and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it is bearing fruit that lasts. 
I would suggest that some of you didn't pay for the seat that you're sitting in today. That it was the sacrifice and faith of somebody else who's enabling you to sit in the chair you're sitting in today. Do they resent that giving? No. They found that God is faithful. They found that God is bearing fruit. They gave toward God understanding that he's going to bear fruit that lasts. Was it worth it? Yes. Absolutely. So you can give to help others go on a local mission trip, on a global mission trip. You can give to help others be accommodated so that they can come. Some of you have given toward our loft, which will be finished by Easter. We just received 250 more chairs, which are going to be up there. We've got three video screens and some speakers that were mounted all up there. That loft is going to face this direction. And as we continue to grow, not just for Easter but beyond, God's going to use those seats and those screens and that above and beyond the tithe, that sacrificial, intentional giving where people are going to be sitting up there, they're going to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, they're going to be reconciled to God because of the giving sacrificially by some of you. It's good. It's going to bear fruit that lasts. So number one, pray that people will go and pray that people will respond. Secondly, give to help others go. And third, step out in faith. Step out in faith. You might need to volunteer to be sent. You say, I don't know, I'd have to get a passport. Get a passport. That's your first step of faith. Get your passport. Second step of faith, volunteer to go. Volunteer to go, to be sent. Isaiah 6, verse 8 said, Then I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? And I said, Here am I, send me. If you want to be challenged in your spiritual life, if you want God to use you gratefully, then pray that prayer. Simply say, God, send me. God's saying, who will go? And you say, I don't have it all together. I don't know where it all is, but I'll volunteer, God. Send me. If you pray those words, send me, God will use you greatly. Because God's a gentleman. He doesn't force ministry on you. He doesn't enslave you. He doesn't guilt you into sharing with people. That's the enemy who doesn't want you to share. He'll guilt you. So if you're listening to guilt or, or shame about sharing with somebody else, that's not the voice of the Holy Spirit. <laughs> right? That's the voice of the enemy who's like, don't tell them about hope. Don't tell them about Jesus. But you might need to say, God, just send me. Send me into my workplace. Send me into my neighborhood. God, send me. And God will begin to open up the doors where you have opportunity that you may not even have right now. We need the same heart for not just our nation, but all the nations that is described here. In Psalm 67, verses 1 and 2, David writes, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. That's from the Old Testament numbers he's quoting right there. But he says, verse 2, So that of God your ways may be known where? On earth and your salvation among where? All nations. This is an Old Testament Jewish king writing, not just God just bless us and blood, but he's saying, God, as you bless us, make your face shine upon us so that your ways are known around the world, so that salvation's extended to all nations. All nations. You might need to step out in faith. God, what nation would you send me to? And let me tell you, as soon as you say that, you're going to think, oh, well, that nation's dangerous. Oh, but that nation's this, and oh, but that nation's that. And, you, and you're going to start thinking of like news clips and other things, and I'm going, listen, listen, God will watch over you. God's going to send you. This nation is dangerous. 
This nation doesn't guarantee you safety, does it? Crazy stuff happens in this city. Crazy stuff happens in Elk Grove. Crazy stuff happens around us. A, a car accident could happen at any time, right? But you have a life to live, and God's saying, maybe you need to volunteer. Would you say, God, wherever that need is, open my eyes to make my heart passionate about somewhere that I'll know that as I pray, you're sending me, that God, you give me what that destination would be. Sometimes we pray, God, send me before he tells you where he's going to send you. Sometimes that intimidates you. You think, oh, I don't know. If I say, God, send me, then he's going to send me to the place I hate the most. No, chances are God's going to send you to a place where your heart gets impassioned more than you ever thought possible. But we get, we take the worst case scenario, right? We take fear, false evidence appearing real. We say, oh, I don't want to volunteer to that, God. And God's saying, no, just have that heart that says, send me, send me. God will use you in a great way to all the nations. So you can pray, you can give, you can step out in faith. And number four, go where I can now. Go where I can right now. So you don't have to go to a foreign country to do the will of God. You don't have to, you know, go all over the world to be sent. God is sending you out from this place right now. And he's saying, go where you can right now. Before we get to the step where you're maybe going to a foreign country, how about you go to the people I'm putting in your path right now. Jesus, after freeing a man from demons who were living inside of him, the man wanted to follow Jesus. He was a, a Greek person. He was on the Greek side of the Sea of Galilee. And after he was freed, he basically said, Jesus, I want to go with you. In other words, I want to leave my culture. I want to leave my family. I want to leave the Greek side of the Sea of Galilee. And I want to go back across with you to Capernaum where it's the Jewish side. In other words, you freed me from all these demons. I believe in you. I believe you're God. I want to go with you. And Jesus, it sounds cruel, but Jesus said this. Luke 8, 39, return home. We tell him, Lord, I want to go with you. He said, go home. Go home. And tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. See, the people of the town became afraid because when Jesus cast out the demons, these demons went into a herd of pigs and they ran down the slopes of the Sea of Galilee and they jumped off the cliff into the Sea of Galilee and they drowned. And so they got afraid. They, these Greeks on the far side of the Sea of Galilee had just seen this Jewish person come over into their territory, do something spiritually crazy, and they're like, you get out of here, you get out of here, you get out of here. So Jesus' disciples, they're going to get on the boat and go back home. But this guy wants to go with them and she's like, no, no, no. You've been reconciled to God, now I'm going to send you where you are. Jesus left, but did his message leave? No. Jesus left, but it was a person going to where he could right then that began to share the gospel. So the word about Jesus and the faith in Christ spread for them as this man told how much Jesus had done for him. You say, well, what do I do? How do I share? How do I have a spiritual conversation with somebody? How about you just tell them what Jesus has done for you? You're not preaching at them. How about you just share how much Jesus has done for you? I mean, what a great thing, right? When you and I begin to share how much Jesus has done for you. I mean, when you, you can share. I'm, I'm called to be loved. How much has God done for me? He's called me to be loved. He just wants me to love. You could share that with somebody. God just wants to love you. Will you just let him love you? I've let him love me. And you begin, well, guess what? You start sharing. You start sharing the gospel. How about 
God's called you to belong. Here, God, I, I was without a family or I was estranged from my family. Or God called me from my good family. He's called me, though, to a forever family. Beautiful thing. God's called me to become. God loves me. And he wants me to change because he loves me too much to leave me where I am right now. I'm becoming more like Jesus in my thought, my attitude, my heart. Tell what God has done for you. God has called you to bless. Why do you volunteer at your church? Why, do you, why are you so involved over there? Why do you do all that stuff? Tell them what Jesus has done for you. When you do those things, guess what? You're being sent. You're living your purpose. You're fulfilling your calling. What did you tell a guy who didn't have it all together, who didn't know where it all was? All he knows is that Jesus freed him from demons. What did he have to share? He had to share what Jesus had done for him. Some of you think that reaching out to others is tough. You think that reaching out to others could be strange. But I want to just downplay that for a minute. Just go, just share. Just share what Jesus has done for you. Just share that you want this person to be a part of a forever family. Just share with them that they have things that God has just done in your life. And it's just having a spiritual conversation in a beautiful way. I want to share a testimony of a couple of our teenagers. Will you watch the screen? Hi, I'm Karina. I'm Melissa. And this is our story of how I accepted Jesus. I went through a rough time freshman year because my grandpa passed away and he was like a fatherly figure in my life. I just went downhill and Melissa was still my friend and she saw that and she was like, hey, like, come on, you need to like come to church. <laughs> she did not want to go to church. Every time I'd invite her over just for a weekend, I'd be like, let's go to church. And she would tell me no every time. And so one time I just said, you know, let's just hang out this weekend and then on Sunday we can get breakfast. And she said, okay. And so she brought a cute little outfit for breakfast and then I drove to Sun Grove with my family. <laughs> I don't suggest it by the way, but it worked out really well. <laughs> yeah, and like that day, I immediately walked in and like Sarah and like Heather greeted me and they're like, hi, hi, and I was like, what? And then I like, walked upstairs and all like the girls, like Emma, Abby Taylor, and they were like, hi, hi, what's your name? And I was like, Karina, and they're like, oh, come sit with us, like all this stuff. And I was like, wow, like I'd never felt that. I was like, so welcomed. And immediately I was like, I'm coming back. And it was hard at first because I had to like get my own ride. And every week, Melissa's um, parents would come pick me up to go to church. And I kept asking Melissa questions during our small group. Like, Ellen would be like, yeah, I was talking to God today and I was like, oh, you, like you can talk to God? And Melissa was like, yeah, you can have a relationship with God. And I was like, well, I never knew that. The relationship with God wasn't like something that I knew. And so I think just one day it was just like, it all clicked and like I could feel it. And I was like, oh my gosh. Like it was, I think the second day of winter camp when Ellen was talking and I like went like this to Melissa. I was like, what does that mean? And she told me, and I was like, oh my gosh. And it just, yeah. And then she was there for my baptism too at women's retreat the year after. <laughs> You're okay. It just made sense that she needed to come because we were like sisters. You know, my sister had just left and so there was just like that needing that community and then only being able to talk about so much and then it just made sense for her to come and so I kind of tricked her into coming and then I knew like once she walked through the doors like she'd love it. Pull the bait and switch, works every time. <laughs> Just go out to breakfast, uh-huh, yeah. By the way, next Sunday is Donut Sunday. You can use that one, so that'd be great. 
Now listen, sometimes it's just a friend who will be persistent. Do you realize that most people who come to Christ because they have a persistent friend inviting them who just doesn't give up on them? Some of you know what that's like because you had somebody who just invited you. You had somebody who wouldn't relent. You had somebody when you didn't get it, when you didn't have it together, when you didn't have reconciled to God, you didn't know. But you started coming because some friend just said, just come with us. Just come. Just come. And God began to use that because he sent someone to you. And in the same way, God wants to send you and I to other people. 2 Timothy chapter 4, uh, verse 5, at the second half of this, this is our uh, memory verse for the week. Uh, you could probably memorize it right here, right now. We'll put it up on the screen. It says this, work at bringing others to Christ. Okay, let's say that together. Ready? Work at bringing others to Christ. Real simple, but that's one of God's, his fifth purpose in our lives. That we work at bringing others to Christ. Let me ask, how hard are you working? How hard are you working? Are you working at bringing others to Christ? Because you might be busy with all sorts of important things, but you might not be busy about the essential things. And what happens is the easiest way to get us distracted, to get us off mission, even as a church, is to work at all sorts of great work, all sorts of noble causes, but to forget to be about the cause God called the church to be about, which is reconciling people to, to him through the message of Jesus Christ. We could get off mission as a church, right? But how does it happen for an individual? I just got to get my life consumed with a lot of things, with me, with distractions, with, with worries, with cares, with intimidation, all sorts of things, and suddenly my life could get off mission, and so could yours. That's what the enemy loves to use. But God's just saying, simply invite. Invite them to your circle. Invite them on, to church on a Sunday morning. You could say, hey, I'd like to go deeper on some things. Would you mind if we had a spiritual conversation? And then wait for them to say yes or no, right? They might say no. But if you said, hey, could we have a spiritual conversation? And they say, sure. Take opportunity. And what do you do? Share what God's done for you. Share that he loved you, that you belong, that you're becoming more like him. You're not perfect. You don't even think you're perfect. But you're becoming more in the image of Christ. You are a blessing because you've been so blessed by God. And you've actually been sent to share with them that they could have that experience too. There it is. Evangelism 101 right there. We can make it a big thing. You make it a whole class, whatever, right? The truth is when you memorize your five purposes in life, you know how to have a spiritual conversation with someone else. Listen, if you know somebody going through some tough times, Karina shared that her grandfather died and, and she was struggling with that and then she got invited to church and she got tricked into going to church, right? But if you know somebody going through hard times, next week's the perfect week to bring them. It's Celebration Sunday. It's a time when we're going to have music, when we're going to see that maybe in all the cares and concerns and trouble of their lives, that there is hope, that there's still a God who transforms lives, and there's a God who can transform their life. And so a Celebration Sunday is the perfect weekend to bring them. They don't need to be a part of the whole campaign of these 40 days that we spent together going through all this stuff. It's just simply a time for them to hear that there's hope in the midst of their pain or their grief or their loss. It's a great time to do it. I want you to think in three arenas. First of all, I want you to think in the arena of your circle. God, who could I invite to my circle where a person can explore and ask questions and be exposed to the love of Jesus 
and for them to be exposed to see how we love one another because there's such a great witness component to where the church loves each other. That's why circles are so powerful. Secondly, I want you to think about in terms of your family. Look at for an opportunity that your family can use to reach out to other people together. What could you do? I was talking with my boys yesterday, and we said, we've got some Muslim neighbors across the street, and, and we said, you know what, we ought to have them over for dinner. We like them. We ought to just have them over for dinner, and just, just social. Just have them over for dinner. Build that relationship. And so some, here's something we can do as a family. And I want you to begin to think about that. That wherever you're living right now, some of you may have just moved. Some of you are in transition. But I want you to think, God doesn't just have you live somewhere. Here's what God does with Christians. He plants them. You say, Lord, why didn't we get that house, but we got this house? Why didn't we get that apartment, but we got this one? Why didn't we get that town home, but we got this? We thought that was going to work out, but it, why? Because God planted you. God planted you for more than just your house and your apartment and where you live and who your roommate's going to be when you go to college. God's, God's going to plant you because he's sending you. So you say, God, okay, where am I right now? What did you plant me here for? Who are you planting me here to have a spiritual conversation with? So ask yourself, God, what people have you placed in my life for me to start a spiritual conversation with? So again, you think, who can I invite to my circle? You think, who can I reach out if you have family? And then third, how about yourself? Who is God keep putting across your path that you could reach out to? and start a spiritual conversation with, listen, there's huge blessing, huge blessing in taking a risk, inviting people, and then stepping back and seeing what God does in their life. See, Melissa, when she had tears coming down about her friend Karina, doesn't have tears coming down. She, she finally accepted my invitation to come to church. That's not why she's crying. She's crying because she's seen Jesus reconcile her friend to himself. That's why. There is no greater joy in your life than seeing somebody else come. And you'll just be part of it. God may plant you somewhere. You may have a spiritual conversation with somebody. They may move. But guess what? God may plant somebody near them where they move. And they may need to hear it five, six, seven, eight times before they finally come to Christ. But are you willing to be sent? Are you willing to be part of that process? And to let God handle the results? Are you willing? Because the enemy wants to resist this more than anything else. It's what he does with your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Let me pray for us as a church. Lord Jesus, what we've talked about this weekend is the subject dearest to your heart. That God, you just have sent us in the world and, and you call us to reach just one more. God, just one more. Could we just reach one more, God, in the time that you give us? You want people in your family, God. It's the reason that you created the universe. It's the reason that you sent Jesus to this earth to die for our sins. So I pray two things, God. I pray first that you would give us as a church faith to believe that you could actually use us to make a difference for eternity. Second, God, I pray that you would keep every believer here from being distracted. I know that Satan fights this more than any other thing in life. And so, Jesus, I pray that even right now, for believers in the room, you would bring us to a moment of decision, that there is somebody you're laying on our heart that you're going to open our, our mind to right now. You're going to plant that thought in us, God, and we're going to know it's from you, that you're calling us to reach out. You're calling us to risk. You're calling us to invite that person. God, may every believer in the room right now, 
be listening to what your Holy Spirit tells them. And God, I also realize in this room there are some who've never received you as Lord. They've never said yes to you. And maybe today is the day that they finally understand that you love them, that you are calling them to a forever family, that you want them to become like Christ, that you are calling them and have purposed them with gifts that they're to use to, for a great purpose in our world and that you'll send them. But the first thing is that they got to realize, God, that you were sent to them first. That you laid aside all the comfort of heaven to come to earth and to die for their sin. And if they will receive the gift of eternal life because of your death, that they will have their sins washed away and can live forever with you. If that's you right now and you're realizing that you need Jesus in your life, then you right now pray a prayer right where you're seated. God hears you in your heart. You pray a prayer like this after me. Jesus, today I give you me. I ask you to come into my life and make me a new creation. I believe you died on the cross for my sin, that you were buried, that you rose again because you were God. I ask you to wash me as white as snow and receive me into your family because today, Jesus, I give you me. Thank you for listening to the Sun Grove Podcast. For information on Sun Grove Church, visit our website at sungrove.org.